0: The views, information, or opinions expressed during this recording are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Alberta Health Services
1: and its employees. This is Long COVID, the pandemic after the pandemic, an Alberta Health Services webinar and podcast series. Long COVID is now being recognized as a new chronic condition that is becoming better understood across the globe. We aim to support our healthcare providers and caregivers to find and use appropriate resources for themselves, their patients and clients. We'll share stories from patients and providers and explore the innovative work being done in Alberta, across Canada and globally to support long COVID. This series will help raise awareness of all the work that's being done to understand and address this complex puzzle. Hello and welcome. This is Long COVID, the Pandemic After the Pandemic, an Alberta Health Services webinar and podcast series. I'm your host, Shauna Curry. This is our third episode, Time Flies, uh, where we're going to interview different healthcare professionals who have worked in programs that use innovative and creative solutions to support patients with Long COVID. This webinar is being recorded, so please mute your phones if you're calling in. And then if you have any questions for our guests, please type them in the chat box and we'll answer as many as we can at the end of this webinar. Prior to the start of COVID-19 in 2020, patient appointments were conducted through phone or virtual appointments fairly sparingly. The COVID-19 pandemic has really rapidly unfolded and catapulted healthcare across the globe uh, into accepting phone and virtual care as an acceptable and in sometimes preferred method of delivering care. Now, while these technologies don't replace the need for an in-person assessment, they can definitely help to deliver care in a way that reduces travel for patients, for providers, and it can help to make care more accessible for patients in areas that don't normally have access to certain types of healthcare professionals. Today, we have a panel of three different guests here to talk about the different programs that they've been involved with. We'll explore how care has shifted after the start of COVID-19 and what's innovative about the work that they're doing. Uh, one of our guests is in another seminar so we'll be joining us partway through the webinar and unfortunately we'll have to leave prior to the end. Uh, so if there's any questions for Ray, uh, we'll answer those uh, after the webinar. So today our first guest is Gail Elton-Smith. Gail graduated from the University of Alberta with a BSc in physical therapy. She worked on the stroke and brain injury unit at the Glenrose Hospital for 20 years, uh, subsequently taking the role of a stroke service coordinator, uh, part-time with the stroke program uh, in the Edmonton Zone in 2008, where she currently works. In 2019, Gail joined the Camero Stroke Early Supported Discharge team as a physical therapist, covering for maternity leave, and became the interim team lead with the program in the fall of 2020. In February 2022, Gail became the team lead for the Provincial Post-COVID Virtual Early Supported Discharge Team Pilot Project. Uh, so that's a bit of a mouthful there. Uh, so Gail, you came from the ppcvesd ESD. That's our, our acronym for all of that, Provincial Post-COVID Virtual virtual Early Supported Discharge. Uh, it's a pilot program in CAMROS uh, that was set out to be a 12-week pilot program uh, that ends in on June 3rd. Can you tell us a little bit
2: about how this program formed and where the idea came from? Sure, Shauna, thanks. And thanks so much for the opportunity to be here. Um, I sort of have to step right back to the beginning a little bit. And just to make sure for those of you who are not aware, um, there are currently seven stroke early supported discharge programs across the province. And they are specialized rehabilitation teams. Um, they're made up of physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, social workers, therapy assistants. And um, some teams also include recreation therapists and nurses um, with the cameras benefiting from all of those programs, all of those disciplines and also received a grant for a psychologist as part of their team so we provide a mix of in-person and virtual therapy to acute stroke patients who no longer need to remain in the hospital for medical care but still require the intense rehab that a stay in a rehab unit would provide And so when COVID first emerged, our CAMRO's team made two significant changes. And the first one was that our program actually reverted to an almost exclusive virtual format. And that um, eventually resulted in quite a significant travel cost savings. Um, We have a boundary of 100 kilometers to provide therapy. And so with us no longer driving that in some cases 100 kilometers there 100 kilometers back um, to provide the therapy Um, we did uh, save quite a bit of travel cost money which comes into play later Um, once the vaccines emerged and the waves decreased we did revert back to our mix of in-person and virtual therapy um, the second change that we made was we started to explore could we use the ESD model and use our program to help support St. Mary's Hospital in Camrose in decanting the beds. Um, they had quite a they were quite full with COVID clients, COVID patients at the time, and um, the rehab staff within the hospital was really pushed to provide rehab. So we started to look at could we um, have those patients, once they were medically stable, be discharged to their own home and provide that rehab to them in their homes using our ESD team as we were able. So in September of 2021, during the Delta wave, we started treating post-COVID patients, our clients who were able to be discharged from St. Mary's Hospital. And we actually had, it was quite a successful pilot. Um, And so we then kind of took it the next step and started to explore the concept of trialing an all-virtual post-COVID ESD team that would be able to treat anyone no matter where they resided within the province of Alberta. We would no longer have that 100-kilometer boundary. We would just blow the doors wide open on that and provide um, therapy to anybody within the province of Alberta um, and who would otherwise be underserviced. So we used the money that we saved from those de- decreased travel costs. And um, and Dana Norton, who's our manager and is a real go-getter, um, used all her uh, connections and supports to, to get um, some FTE time for therapists from other programs around to be involved. And so we were able to pick up, you know, little pieces of FTE of OT, PT, speech, um, social work, psychology, uh, rec, uh, occupation, or sorry, therapy assistance and nursing to start the PPCV ESD pilot. And we took our first client on in March, uh, March 5th of 2022.
1: Thanks so much, Gail. So you've mentioned that this is an all virtual team for rehabilitation, and that's a pretty new concept, especially in Alberta Health Services. Can you talk to us a little bit about the benefits of having a fully virtual rehabilitation program and, and how it's different from an in-person rehab program?
2: Um, sure. So there's actually the the benefits to the client, and then there's also benefits to the system. So the from the client perspective, um, you know, when you think of The long haul clinics that are available in Edmonton and Calgary. um, There's a huge proportion of the province that you know has a very long way to go (laughs) to access those services, and so it removes the geographical barrier for rural Albertans. So as long as you know they have an internet connection, um, we can we can see them. Some of our clients came from Spirit River, from Athabasca. Um, You know, we had a number of clients write spread right across geographically so that's a that's a big um a big gain um the second thing that we saw was with the clients that we treated almost virtually all of them had overwhelming fatigue as a primary complaint. And, you know, so the ability to be able to see them in their homes, you know, some of our clients, the very first client we took on her goal was to be able to get up, get dressed, eat breakfast, and then be able to do anything else that basically getting up, getting dressed and eating breakfast, and she was done for the day, she'd go back to bed. So to ask that client to get into a car and travel somewhere for, um, for rehab was, you know, is just not feasible. So to be able to connect with them in their home, um, and, uh, and see them treat them right there was a real was a real benefit. Um, most of our clients were actually under fifty. They almost all had childcare, you know, issues. Um, transportation was a was a problem for them because um, their significant other was often working, and uh, and they did not feel they could were safe to drive any longer with cognitive fatigue, um, and uh, and that fog that they were complaining of. So it removed all of those barriers, and allowed us to see them. Um, you know, virtually right away. Um, from a staffing perspective, um, we would not have been able to provide this pilot if we could only use therapists who are within the CAMROS, um, you know, the CAMROS team. Um, we had our, our therapists came from from anywhere some of them were rural themselves and uh and so we were able to pull OTs from Edmonton from you know PT well myself as a team lead I'm housed in Edmonton um so we were able to pull staff from around the province as well and we didn't have to provide them with an office you know as long as they had a laptop that could connect into um the AHS uh services and AHS um our, our folders and our access to the client um, information, they could go. So we had a phone and a laptop and away we went.
1: That's incredible. And I, I just, uh, I love how quickly this program was able to get set up and pivot, uh, which is, is so needed. Now, with we've talked on previous episodes that long COVID is after 12 weeks of symptoms from an initial COVID-19 diagnosis. Now, your program sees patients that are within that three to 12 weeks of their initial COVID-19 infection. So typically, we have our, our COVID infection and then we have our long COVID infection, but your program treats that middle zone. Can you tell us a little bit about why your program program targets that group? And maybe give us an example of how the program benefits patients that are struggling to get on COVID support in their community.
2: Um, sure. So there were actually a number of reasons. The, the biggest one was based on our uh, previous pilot that we did in September, where um, we took clients that were di- early and discharged from hospital. And we actually expected that with this um, pilot as well. And um, because ESD is early supportive discharge. So it was kind of that's its um, what it's designed to do. Um, but actually, we none of the clients that we received were ever admitted to hospital. All of them <clears throat> were actually stayed, were not so ill that they were admitted, they stayed home, but then just had significant post-COVID symptoms and after they um, after they supposedly recovered from the initial infection. So, um, so we actually, uh, we were sort of expecting to take people discharged from hospital. Um, that was a surprise for us. Um, but the second reason was we didn't want to duplicate services. So, um, the long haul clinics were after 12 weeks, we wanted to kind of try and fit perhaps that um, hole in services that was for those clients anywhere, you know, 12 weeks, if you think of yourself being off and sitting at home wondering what you're going to do for 12 weeks, that's a very long time. So we wanted to try to to jump in there and provide service at, at that point. Um, as it was, a lot of our clients we got at sort of that eight to nine, eight to 10 week mark. Um, And interestingly, a lot of, most of them kind of reported a crash around the four weeks. They were, um, as I said, most of them were young. Um, They had families, they were working. They tried to push themselves around that four to five week to get back to work and get back to things that they were doing previously. And they ended up really crashing. So they started to recover, pushed, crashed. And so we actually wondered if could we have prevented that if we had been able to see people at three weeks and counsel them as to how to to get back Um, you know, listening to their body and what they're able to do so that they didn't push too hard, could we have prevented that crash and the really significant long COVID symptoms that they had after that time? We don't have an answer to that, but I sure hope somebody is studying that somewhere. because um, I would really like to see an, an answer to that. Um, so some of the surprises we found from the pilot was the, um, the lack of support that people felt, not just from, um, from their family and from their friends. Um, you know, we had so many quotes of people saying, you know, if I hear one more time, you know, what's the matter with you? How, you know, every, it's just a cold COVID is just a cold. How come you're still struggling? Um, but you know, they had that kind of, misunderstanding and lack of support from family and friends but unfortunately they also especially in the rural areas had that same experience from their healthcare providers who just weren't really aware of long COVID and some of the the symptoms and so they just really felt alone it ramped their anxiety right up through the roof and we just you know having the the psychologist as a part of our program was just a huge um i really wouldn't want to even try to do this program without having that psychological support and the social worker support as well because you know aside from the ot and the pt and the and the speech therapist um again that was so needed the a lot of them were trying to return to work or were not able to return to work and needed a lot of financial support so being able to have that whole team support the whole person was you know was just huge for us and to be honest we're really concerned we're a pilot we're done june 3rd and we know we just touched the tip of the iceberg in terms of the numbers of people who are out there Trying to struggle through this on their own, waiting for and potentially a long haul appointment. That you know, as we know, the wait lists are getting longer. So, um, the, we really see this virtual team um, being able to really quite inexpensively, when you think of it, be able to help provide support for some of those some of those people who are out there.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that, Gail. I learned so much every time I talk to you. I think I always get like a new glimmer of, of little pieces that I didn't know before. Uh, so thanks for sharing that with everyone. Uh, our next guest today is Raymond Aceron from the Edmonton Virtual Hospital. Ray is an interim patient care manager at the Edmonton Zone Virtual Hospital. He's a nurse practitioner with 14 years of experience in internal medicine and hospitalist medicine. And prior to that, he worked as an RN for seven years in ER. STARS, Neurosciences, and Pediatric Mental Health. Uh, So Ray has done tons of different things in the nursing world and comes from lots of experience. He's currently the clinical lead for the COPD Self-Initiative Program at the Royal Alexandra Hospital, and he's also the co-chair of the COPD Clinical Assembly of the Canadian Thoracic Society. Now, Ray, when we think of hospitals, we typically think of patients who need medical care, such as oxygen or respiratory monitoring. We don't often think that the type of care um, that, of that type of care being done in any setting outside of the hospital. Can you tell us what a virtual hospital is and how you use remote patient monitoring in that uh, in your setting?
3: Absolutely. So basically, we bring the hospital home. Um, and really what it comes down to is that, you know, those patients that typically are, are cared for in a bricks and mortar type of uh, environment as a certain population can be safely uh, cared for at home. So we we provide, for example, IV antibiotics, completion of therapy. Uh, we could administer um, oxygen therapy at home. So typically, uh, you know, these types of patients that have, you know, they've, they've been in hospital for a couple of days and all they need is completion of treatment. Those are the types of patients that we would take and uh, complete treatment at home using, um, we have a pharmacist, we have registered nurses. Um, community paramedics that help to administer our our, uh, uh, treatments at home. Uh, And basically, you know, we we focus on, you know, these patients that do require this acute care, but also the patients that are, we call them frequent users of of the system. So people with chronic diseases that that continue to, to utilize the system because of, you know, their chronic comorbidities, and we're able to help prevent them from going to hospital.
1: And we know that preventing patients from going to the hospital results in, you know, so many cost savings and being able to treat patients in in different ways. So uh, that's such a, a great innovative program. Can you give us an example of some of the different types of patients that have been part of the Edmonton Zone Virtual Hospital Program?
3: Sure. So typically, um, you know, patients that, for example, like acute exacerbation COPD, so these patients require some oxygen um, and just really complete completion of their antibiotic therapy and steroid therapy. We monitor them uh, at home. Um, patients with uh, acute heart failure, you know, they go to the hospital for a couple of days and we can continue their, their IV, uh, you know, diuresis at home in and closely monitor them, wean them down off their oxygen. Uh, it was interesting during during the pandemic. You know, we opened up uh, extra spots and extra capacity just because uh, the hospitals were were full and swelling. And we 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 found that these COVID patients that they would be have extended stays in hospitals. So, you know, they they were medically stable, especially after being so sick. And we actually had this one gentleman who was uh, probably in his forties. Uh, he ended up going to the ICU, he was intubated actually had a a cardiac arrest um but he was discharged to the to the medical floors on six liters of oxygen and he was um, medically stable and there wasn't anything else uh, that he needed but he was you know he was isolated in the hospital and because of you know with all those isolation protocols he really had no contact with anybody else except his uh, you know treatment team and and you can imagine what uh, effect that had on you know a person's psyche so you know we identified this patient as well you know you're on six liters of oxygen um you require a little bit of, of physiology you know, uh, monitoring I'm still able to safely mobilize at home, but I'm like, well, let's bring you home. Um, let's let's see how you do. We'll, we'll closely monitor you. And what we use is um, digital remote uh, patient monitoring. So we have uh, what's called the Cloud DX system. Monitors your vital signs. Patient inputs their vital signs, and we we monitor this on a regular basis. Our, our nurses will utilize zoom conferencing to to take a look at the patient um and and they call them on a regular basis and we and you know and we coach the patient this particular patient he stayed with us for about three weeks we were able to get him off his oxygen and the big part of it was is that he got to he got to recover at home and uh, that was huge he could be back with his family and, and his wife and he was just he's very thankful for that at the end to be able to be able to do that
1: now, Ray, you brought up an interesting point when you were giving that example is, you know, just saying how the patient was able to recover at home. What are some of the benefits of having a program where patients can rehab at home and, and to be remotely monitored instead of having that time in the hospital?
3: Well, what again, for the all the patients that I did encounter during that, you know, that, that wave is they were just, they felt so isolated was the biggest part of it, right? And they were, they were amotivated, right? They were in a small room. They didn't really want to get up. They were, they felt, you know, horrible, and that you know they just didn't feel like they could, you know, do what they needed to do to get out. So you know, being able to go home and in a familiar environment to have the, you know, your family support, you know, that there is just, it brings up, you know, your, your mental health, just, it helps, it just helps to, to give you that extra bit of motivation to try. And especially for us, you know, with, you know, being able to support the patient, you know, with this particular patient, you know, we, on a daily basis, we would say, okay, well, you know, how about you just try the stairs? You know, and we would, you know, slowly just kind of, you know, help him to progress, and he really appreciated that aspect, and really being able to do that again in a familiar environment, to have all those kind of supports in place, um, it just, it just really um, made wonders for the patient, and uh, and and again, they were just surprised that they were able to do that. So.
2: That's. That's
1: great. We had a question pop up in the box there that uh, is is actually a really great uh, dig deeper question in terms of what's involved in the patient monitoring. You know, so what what types of things are you monitoring? How does that technology actually work? Who's monitoring it? How frequently does it get checked? Um, What can you say about those?
3: So it's. So what we have, the, what we're trying to do is, is create, uh, you know, an acute care environment in the community. So, for example, our Cloud DX system. So it's an interactive system um, and allows the patient to put in, you know, their pulse, their, their blood pressure, the SpO2, um, and we have them, you know, depending on the patient. Obviously, um, you know, a patient we want to, you know monitor closely we'll have them okay well why don't you put in your vital signs you know three times a day um and we'll have this dashboard on our end we'll be able to take a look at that and you know kind of decide uh, how often or how closely we need to monitor this patient also with that ability within that little um again it's just a tablet and they can we can schedule zoom calls with them so if we have concerns that they you know that they might be you know they're more shorter breaths and not looking at we we schedule this zoom call with them and we can you know take a qu- quick uh, A closer look at them. If we're not, you know, with that video conferencing, we're not even, you know, still quite unsure. We actually have the we utilize uh, mobile integrated health, which are basically community paramedics. Uh, They function differently than regular paramedics. They go out to the. They really want to keep the patient in the community in at home, um, and they'll go on and assess. And so, with our physicians, um, nurse practitioners, we we coordinate and we assess them through that way, and we try to treat in place and make sure that they stay home. And they're the ones who are going to be uh, continuing IV therapy. For example, our, our patient with the IV Lasix who requires it twice a day, they'll be the ones that come in twice a day to, to administer the, those uh, medications. And we can use, um, as part of our marketing system, we have a scale so the patient will weigh themselves on a regular basis and we can actually see our progress that way.
1: And do you send patients home with the technology or do they use their own heart rate monitor? Or I mean lots of people have smartwatches now or heart rate straps. Uh, what, what are they using for your program?
3: Um so the Cloud DX system was was kind of it, it popped into our lap during the during the pandemic, and it was just kind of a, a um fortunate uh equipment that we were able to use prior to that we were just using you know for example the regular uh, blood pressure cuffs uh, home monitoring and sat probes so it it really depends on the patient and i think you you know we, we judge that we say you know are you more comfortable with your equipment We do have more advantages, obviously, when we use the Cloud DX system, because we can, you know, this is all um, organized for us. It comes to us and we can, you know, we get these notifications. Um, There is a lot of possibility moving forward, uh, like like you say, with the smartwatches and all that. uh, And uh, currently the province is looking for, you know, how to utilize that type of equipment moving forward. So, but again, very fortunate to use this and it's a really great, uh, great uh, possibilities.
1: That's great. And we'll ask you one more question. I know you've got to pop off shortly, okay. um, but uh, for any of the teams that might need to come in and check on patients during a visit, do you require patients to be masked during those visits or, or is that circumstantial?
3: Um, so at this point, we, we do uh, take routine precautions and usually we decide, you know, um, again, post post admission we really have a good handle in terms of their um, In terms of their status and COVID status, we use routine precautions, but normally we'll know if they are COVID positive or not, uh, and we'll take those same precautions, you know, if they were or weren't. So if the patients, you know, develop, for example, they started developing a cough right off the bat, we would mask up and use exactly those types of uh, precautions that we we would use in hospital.
1: Thanks so much for joining us today, Ray. As I mentioned, he does need to jump off. He's uh, got himself booked solid all day long. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, If there are any other questions for Ray, you can pop them. Actually, you can email them to me, shauna.curry at uh, ahs.ca. And uh, I will forward those along and get those answered for you. Um, But uh, thanks for your time today, Ray. You're welcome to stay on as long as you want. Or if you need to head off to your next meeting, that's fine as well.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Take care. Uh, Our next guest today is Laura Martin, and she's from the virtual health team. So Laura is a clinical facilitator with the virtual health team uh, and has been with the program for approximately nine years. Uh, She's been an occupational therapist for 15 years and worked in Edmonton, Calgary, and Grand Prairie in various capacities. Uh, These experiences have fueled Laura's passion for advancing the access to virtual care for all Albertans. Uh, So I'm really excited to have Laura join our team because I think her team has been involved in many of the projects around Alberta and so I'm uh, really excited to pick her brain. Uh, I mentioned earlier that the COVID-19 pandemic has rapidly created this high level of acceptance of virtual and digital support for programs. Laura, can you tell us a little bit more about how the virtual health team works with clinical programs?
0: Sure, thanks for having me. So i um, Organizationally, our team has realigned this last year and is now part of the um, Provincial Clinical Programs portfolio, where we work alongside other programs that support virtual care, such as Rapid and HealthLink. And as a provincial virtual health team, we collaborate with clinical programs and partners support, to support um, the integration of virtual care as an as an option across the healthcare continuum. Um, You know, we also coordinate partnerships in innovation and technology, um, act as a central point of contact for clinical programs and establish recommendations and guidelines. And many of our team have clinical designations. And so we leverage this this knowledge to collaborate in the co-design of virtual care
3: initiatives.
1: Thanks, Laura. So prior to the webinar, Laura and I were talking a little bit about some of the projects that her team was involved with, and there's a lot of innovative uh, projects that your team has been working on. So some of the innovation is more about pivoting ideas from existing projects and applying them to new programs or to different settings. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the different options for virtual care that have been used to support patients?
0: Of course. So our team has actually been involved in supporting virtual care within AHS by connecting patients to their providers remotely for approximately 20 plus years. Um, so there is a list of approved platforms um, that HS uses that meets HS technology and security standards. So, um, you know, you've obviously seen the recent addition of HS Zoom, but other examples include secure messaging, traditional telehealth, telephone, there's and with Connect Care, MyHS Connect, there's lots um, of, of those platforms. And so our work has really evolved because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So um, prior to COVID in 2019 to 2020, uh, there were about 60,000 clinical video visits that happened that year. Um, however, in the 2021 to 2022 year, we actually saw growth to 433,000 clinical video visits connecting patients and providers. And so um, as part of this work and as the pandemic has kind of Gone on, we have worked to develop priorities to focus on as part of a three-year provincial strategy. So some of these strategies, some of these kind of priorities include acute specialist consultations, um, ambulatory and routine follow-up consultations, virtual hospital program expansions like you've heard Ray talk about, um, and integration of that targeted digital remote patient monitoring for vulnerable populations such as seniors, geographically remote and Indigenous population. And so we've taken these priorities throughout the COVID-19 pandemic make and um we've applied them, and we've seen a lot of innovation successes that have been developed and that have been able to scale and spread to other programs, like you mentioned, Shana, with the pivoting. And so examples of some of the work that virtual health has supported in terms of long COVID has um, been supporting the development um, and a kind of, uh, of the interprofessional outpatient programs, so the IPOP clinics, um, supporting um, work that Gail and the EST team has been doing. Um, they've worked to support the addition of the 811 Physician Treatment. Triage, um, as well as expansion of digital remote patient monitoring. So those are just a few examples. Um, and we've, our team has also worked with HS privacy, professional practice, and health literacy teams to develop appropriate tools to support virtual care for the public. And those are located on our external
1: virtual webpage. Your team has done so much, Laura. I think uh, we have kept your team very busy through the pandemic. Our previous speaker, Gail, had mentioned some of the benefits of having a virtual program. Can you talk to us a little bit more from your perspective about the benefits of integrating virtual technologies into programs? Of course. So our team will work
0: with programs to kind of plan for evaluation um, and to and to look at those benefits. And so some of the proposed metrics that, um, you know, we include for evaluation may be improved access to care, including specialty care, reduced wait times, a satisfactory user experience, reduced ED visits, hospital admissions, reduced length of stay, um, reduced travel time and costs. But we also as a team recognize that there are challenges with virtual care, such as equity and device availability or infrastructure and connectivity. And so we will work with clinical programs and partners to address these on a case-by-case basis. Um, Overall, I think as a team, we find that virtual care platforms really provide a more holistic approach to care by providing patient autonomy in how they're seen and working to make this a modality that is considered alongside in-person care when deemed clinically appropriate. Appropriate for patients. So, you know, that's that's a big piece there because sometimes in-person needs to be the way to go just because of what's happening for the patient, but that clinically appropriateness is so important. And so just a recent example of how we've done this was just integration of family members into inpatient hospital rounds um, as they might not have been able to otherwise participate due to pandemic restrictions. So, you know, and, and if, if anyone is interested or wants additional information or wants to look at our resources, they are available on our in- page and our external web page. And if someone um, has a project that they would like or initiative that they would like additional support for, um, you can fill in our virtual health intake form, and we would be more than happy to support you and, and, and co-design that with you to make it successful.
1: You're going to get a flood of requests now,
0: Laura. <laughs> hey, we love it. We, we are here to help support people however
1: we can. That's great. Uh, yeah, your your team has just done so much through the pandemic, and I, I think you know, in some ways, having you know everything that all the challenges that we've had come from the pandemic is it's really opened up opportunities for your team to be creative, to be innovative, and to to take technologies and tools that we already know and apply them to settings in a different way, which is such a, a great uh, step to be taking forward. We're going to shift to more of an open question format, so I'll, I'll let either Laura or Gail jump in, uh, whoever wants to go first. Where do you think there's some opportunity for the greater use of technology in healthcare? And that might even be outside of AHS, but, but just generally, where, where are there more
2: opportunities
1: to integrate more technology?
2: Are we gonna arm wrestle over it? <laughs> yeah, Gail, why don't you go first? <laughs> you know, honestly, I think the sky's the limit on on this. I, I really do. I think um, you know, we uh, as an ESD team with cameras, just with the stroke, um, we're still kind of trying to find that sweet spot between what's the best balance between in person and and virtual, and so you know we're just kind of starting to explore that idea. But I just think you know, as even in the I think five years that we've been um, doing virtual as a ESD team to rural, the internet access is getting better and better and better every year, and um, and more and more people have access either through their smartphones or you know iPads or devices that they have. So, you know, I honestly think that at moving forward, um especially when you listen to what Ray was talking about in terms of um smart devices and and smartphones, we're we're currently involved with a project with the university using Fitbits and you know, every year the Fitbit monitors more things, right? So, I really do think the the sky is the limit in terms of expanding and using it as, as a Personally, as a patient, would you rather be in hospital or would you rather be home? (laughs) I know where I'd rather be. So I think there's lots of opportunity. And
0: I would say I echo that and, and the virtual health team echoes that. That is really what I think we're a lot, that's what we're about is is how do we integrate that technology seamlessly and into healthcare to make it more accessible, more equitable. And so I think some of the, the things that we really potentially see is potential usage of the remote patient monitoring for long COVID patients. Um, you know, we've actually been working with Ray and the um, virtual hospital team to actually um, look at how do we add rehab resources um, so. So allied health support for patients that might be in virtual hospital that's ongoing, just supporting some of that development of group education or or group sessions, um, as well as we've, we we're involved in various research um, projects and we're working with various partners such as the U of A to explore some of those new technology and innovations and, and see how can we bring that in and how does that work and how does that support people. So I think there's just so many opportunities and I would echo what Gail said is, you know, would I rather be in hospital or would I rather be at home? And I think the sooner, you know, you can be at home that the healing happens and it's just, it's more familiar and um, yeah, finding that balance.
1: Absolutely. I know I just recently had a family member in the hospital and, you know, they they definitely recovered much more when they were at home. And, you know, the hospital is very much a place that we stabilize patients, but it's not restful with all the alarms going and, you know, the multiple patient bedrooms and, you know, people coming and going. And, you know, so, so I think a lot of patients, they're, they're just actually more comfortable in, in their own space. Um, do either of you know of programs that are using technology to support pediatric populations? That's a, a bit of a, a curveball there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, there, there are multiple. So our team has multiple involvement with um, programs for pediatrics. I know there has been. Um, you know, some discussion around as well about kind of a pediatric long COVID pathway. And so our team has been involved in and is involved in that provincial work. Um, I know team members of mine work with um, uh, programs such as the NICU and PICU and the neonatal transport. Um, There's multiple programs that work out of the Stollery and the Alberta Children's. And so, um, yeah, our team is involved in quite a few of them, um, as well as just even some of the, uh, we've, we've done some work with um, some of the um, allied health, Edmonton's own allied health pediatric teams, um, just to support them in learning how to use Zoom and how it fits for them. So lots of pediatric work. Great question.
1: Thank you. All right. Another question that came in that I I think is a really great one is how do your programs or or how do do you know of other programs that bring awareness to
2: the virtual programs, especially in the rural and remote areas? Um, we used actually the rehab advice line was um, where our referrals came from. Um, so had we not been such a small pilot, we would have expanded beyond that. But we um, we we had such small pieces of FDE that we didn't want to be overwhelmed. Um, so, but we did use the rehab advice line, and I think you know, in terms of, um, I think the more we get the word out about that. That is a one-stop shop for people to find out about resources and um, and so you know I, I think it helps to have kind of a one place that people can go. and from the from the um, information we got from our clients, we need to make that a little less difficult to find on the website. <laughs> So if there's anybody listening from the website, um, we need to get that rehab advice line a little bit bigger of a button or something so it's not quite such a deep search but that would definitely be a a good place to start for, for a lot of those programs I think.
0: Agreed. And and I would say, um, I, I would totally echo that in a lot of the work we've been doing to support long COVID, um, the Rehab Advice Line has been a huge kind of connection point or um, input. And so I think one of the other things just as a virtual health team is that, you know, we have tried to design tools for patients that are on our external page. We've just gone through a rebranding of our external page and are doing some stakeholder engagement and client and family engagement to figure out how do we make this a bit more accessible, you know? And, and so we're, we're actually just working on that right now. And um, I think the other the other piece of that, too, is we as part of the work that we do with programs is just helping them to figure out what is that communication plan? How do we socialize um, virtual care um, and and tool like different tools that we have in place? And so I would say that's something that, you know, we will have discussions because it depends on the program and and what the reach is. But it's a great question.
1: Thank you. I've got another question that came in here. Uh, so, are either of you aware of any programs to help provide patients with the necessary technology or connectivity?
0: So, I, I would <laughs> I would say uh, in in a lot of cases, um, we tend to work with. Programs. We haven't always had patients connect us, but usually we will work with programs to look at different options. And it's very much a case by case basis. I, I wouldn't say that I have a, an answer that there's a loan pool or whatever that, you know, like H S wide, but there's, I, I would say um, we work with programs and our partners, um, so IT and um, to kind of help facilitate that and have some of those conversations and look at what options um, are available.
2: Our ESD program actually does have loaner iPads that they that they will loan out to clients if um, if they don't have that ability. Um, we did not want to do that in the pilot just because we had clients right across Alberta and we were a little concerned we would wouldn't get them back. Um, um, so uh, you know, I think it is potentially possible to have a loaner pool. We did find like, we did have some clients who didn't have them, but they were able to borrow them um, from other, from friends, family, other people, grandchildren, you know, kind of thing um, who did have them. So uh, it wasn't a barrier for our program to to access because they could use, most people at least had a phone. Um, but it is a good question. And I think if you really wanted to expand it and make it equal across the province, um, you know, tablets aren't actually all that expensive. And I think it would be entirely feasible to have a loaner a pool of, of tablets. Thanks, Gail.
1: Uh, so a question for, for both of you that I've asked in other podcasts is what's been the silver lining in COVID? And uh, we could say long COVID as a part of that. Laura, why don't you go Sure. First?
0: <laughs> i I would say, you know, and I think we've we kind of highlighted this before, I think, you know, one of the things that if we can see um, the silver lining for COVID is really that adoption of virtual care and just virtual care options being realized. So it it really, you know, with the restrictions in place, it really helped us to maintain some of that continuity of care, I think. And that for us as a team, um, we, we just saw a huge uptake in programs needing to pivot and um, adopt virtual care and just kind of that um some of the shift in mentality to around um there are times where a hybrid approach works and maybe there are there are times where virtual works really really well and there are times maybe where um and and it gives um you know i think patient choice like we said before patient
2: autonomy so i think in terms of the um you know both with um outside of AHS in terms of, you know, Zoom um, was a game changer for our program. We were using Skype for Business before, and um, Skype for Business does not play well with Mac um, products. And so people with iPads um, or Mac computers, it just didn't work. Um, so the fact that we were able to go to Zoom um, and AHS allowed us to go to Zoom so quickly um, was a huge game changer. Uh, for us and i think you know you look at the the change in conferencing apps in the past two years you know the the um it's you know it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and every time they do that you get extra features or extra things you can do and i know the um you know one of the biggest, difficulties for us to go virtual from a rehab perspective I'm a physical therapist by background and doing an assessment virtually is very difficult um, you know and uh, and they have apps now from the, the university are exploring that you know can measure you can use to virtually measure range of motion you know to virtually measure things that you know otherwise you, you were just guessing you're kind of looking through a screen going well it looks about 45 degrees <laughs> you know and um, and it's changing all the time moving forward. And so, you know, in terms of a silver lining, I think it's just pushed things years ahead than what would have happened otherwise.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, If there's any other questions uh, for Laura or Gail, if you want to type those into the chat box, and then I'll ask one more question. And if there are no questions from the audience, we'll wrap up a little bit early today. Uh, So I'll throw a hypothetical question out there for both of you to to think about and uh, to put on your creativity hat. If you could design a piece of technology, whether it be virtual technology, digital technology, to do anything that you wanted in healthcare, what would, you know, if you could wave your magic wand, price wasn't an option, tech, you know, you could do whatever you wanted. What uh, What would that look like? And I'll, I'll maybe throw an idea out there in terms of what, if I could wave my magic wand, I'd love for a program that you could integrate into all EMRs to be able to use virtual digital technology, to be able to do, you know, an audio video conference with your patients that's fully integrated into your EMR so that it can capture any of the important data, put it right into the patient's chart. And then you've got that all in one spot. Want. Um, and especially if we could integrate that with all of practitioners across Alberta, that would be my, my magic wand that could integrate into uh, all, all the programs for everyone everywhere.
2: Let's maybe start with Gail. We'll pick your brain on this one. Oh, sure. Now you go to me first. Um. <laughs> Um, No, I think that that would be amazing. Like if it could connect into Connect Care, for example, oh, wow, that would um, save so much uh, time um, and effort in there. You know, to be honest, the barriers that I see right now are not so much technology wide. I think we have a good, a good start um, for that. It's more just to be able to think outside the box to provide the resourcing that that would be needed to allow for that transition from acute care to outpatient thinking and I, I think we're that's to me the slower part that's taking the time to catch up I think we could actually do a lot more even with the technology that we have right now I think we could get people out of the hospital faster if we had the staff, and the kind of the visioning behind and the support behind to support it and that's the the problem is that you need to have the new kind of funding to to provide the support for the the staff um, to provide that outpatient service Um, but I do think it would unplug the downstream plug that we've got at the moment you know of people being in hospital because there's not that service in the outpatients and in their homes um, to allow them to be discharged safely I think if we had that we could really get the flow through the hospital a lot faster my two bits. I love it that's such a great idea what about you Laura?
0: You know what I would I would actually um the, I I think uh, echo what you said, Shauna, Is that interoperability and Gail? What you said, if if it integrated into Connect Care and that, but but still have the ability to have some of those specialized pieces because there's certain certain programs have certain needs and and even within the same technology, sometimes there's you know there's specialized needs that someone has but someone else may not have and so but still to have that interoperability and that communication and kind of that linkage and I think. You know, just it and again we've touched on this a little bit too is some of that wi-fi for rural and remote communities just to have that access that you know i think and and good not not just wi-fi but good wi-fi so that it supports um you know it it kind of supports that so i think i i feel like there's you know there's and and i'm excited with wave four coming this weekend i think there's so much um excitement and you know we're, we're starting to see being able to do video visits from within connect care but i think once we are all there just that that vision and and that um yeah that interoperability I think will be really
1: important. Absolutely. And I, I can't wait to see where healthcare goes in the next five years, 10 years, uh, because I think we've taken this giant leap forward and, and we're at this really exciting time to see, you know, how do we change the way that we've done things you know for, for years and years and to leverage these technologies and to, to look at new opportunities or new ways of doing things. So thank you both for uh, for your insight and, and your creativity, especially on that last question there. Uh, so that wraps up our show for today. A huge thank you to the three of our guests, to Gail Elton-Smith, Laura Martin, and Ray Aceron for joining us and sharing information about their innovative programs. I want to thank everyone who's taken the time today to join us and listening in. Uh, we hope you'll take time to uh, to go through some of the information, the links that were in the chat box, uh, to share this web link with your colleagues, and if you work with patients, that we hope you'll share the information with them that we talked about on the show. Our last episode of this series will be on June 23rd from 12 to 1, so mark your calendars, and we hope to see you next time. Thanks for joining in today, everyone, and uh, take care.
3: Together, we do amazing things every day.